0: Nice to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. K-State kicks off their season with a win 24-7 over the Stanford Cardinal. Roughly about 30,000 people saw it down there in Big D at AT AT&T Stadium. And K-State moves to 1-0 here off of, uh, you know, really a very convincing 24-7 win over the Stanford Cardinal. We'll get into that here in a little bit, but I want to welcome in... Dilu, who was the short side options correspondent on site in Big D. Dilu, great to see you. Great to see the cats are one to zero.
1: Yeah, what a win! It uh, K State goes out there, takes care of business against a uh, you know a legitimate Power Five opponent. It you and I called it last week. We didn't think uh, Stanford was. Uh, Going to match up very well with K State, and the game played out, uh, like we'll talk about here in a little bit, kind of like we expected it to. K State really just controlled the game wire to wire, it was not a stressful game, really, at any point. And K State was just clearly the better team against an outmatched Stanford,
0: you know. That's how it appeared, you know, on TV, of course. And I think K State really got it together right off the first couple drives. But before any, th- I want to get into the game, I kind of want to talk to you about. Uh, your experience down there in Big D? What was the atmosphere like? You know, even on TV, it sounded somewhat loud. I mean, with it only being you know 25, thirty thousand folks there, uh, but looked like to be you know somewhat well attended. Uh, typically, more by maybe students. It looked like there was a good t- turnout there. Uh, give me your thoughts. Uh, well, it was they, they did a pretty good job of
1: forcing the students all into one or one, area. one particular yeah. area, and yeah. so and that area was packed to the gills, and it looked like a raucous environment. Yeah, but, uh, it looked like they were having a great time. Yeah, I think so. They uh, they were loud. As far as uh, K-State goes, uh, the rest of the stadium, I mean, it was it felt like it was about 60 70% empty in there, mm-hmm. um, just yeah. because there are complete halves Levels, of the yeah, stadium in yeah. the upper sure. deck that are just totally bare. Uh, but in terms of the lower deck, at least on the K-State side where I was sitting, you know, it 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 was a pretty fun environment. I mean, there there were a, most it was mostly K State fans. I mean, the vast majority of yeah. the people in that stadium K State were I, I fans, and so uh, it was it was fun to just kind of dominate a neutral venue like that. And uh, so, in terms of the feel and the environment, it wasn't you know playing a game. at, the bill, or being in an environment like the Cotton Bowl the last time K State yep. was there, but it was a neutral site game that felt like uh, there were that was fairly loud for the number of people that were there, and it was fun. Um, but a lot of that had to do with you know how the game was going. Sure, but in terms of the payday and everything, yeah, it it was
0: probably it was a wise decision. Well, good deal. Well, it's uh, it was a game that K State. Took a stranglehold on, you know, really pretty early. Uh, Forcing Stanford to punt early on. K-State drives it right down the field. Gets inside uh, the 30-yard line. And then, of course, Skylar Thompson throws that interception to Phillip Brooks. Uh, K-State forces uh, a three and out right after that. And then uh, Phillip Brooks again finds himself kind of here at the middle of the action. Uh, Blown coverage. Uh, Skylar's able to buy some time, find him. And uh, sets up a two-play touchdown drive for the Cats. I can't remember
1: a game that was more encouraging for the offense the way that we started on Saturday. I mean, that that first drive, our, our first 10 plays, K-State had over 130 yards of offense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you're averaging 13 yards per play in the first 10. That's, that's really impressive. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time K-State... Just had chunk play after chunk play, uh, like they did in that first two uh, those first two drives. I mean, the first play of the game, 17 yard run to Deuce Vaughn. Uh, two plays later, 22 yard pass to Phillip Brooks. Uh, the next play, K State passes to Emerita Bebe for 16 yards. Then Joe Irvin gets on the ac- in on the action for a rush for six yards. Knowles a rush for five yards. Vaughn catches a pass for six yards. And then we have the interception. And then uh, K-State eventually gets the ball back. And it's a fifty-yard, f- 56-yard pass to Brooks. And like you mentioned, a 6-yard run to Pater by Thompson. I mean, that's just a great job by Courtney Messingham. Knowing exactly how to get the game started off right. I mean, I don't know how strictly K-State scripts those first two possessions. Sure. But I would imagine, you know, you have all off season to prepare for your first possession, you're probably uh you probably have an idea of what you want to look like yes yeah. you want oh, to run. Absolutely. No and question. K State executed aside from the errant pass by Thompson or screw up by Brooks, I I seen blame passed to both those people for the interception on the first drive. But otherwise pretty flawless first two drives there for K State in terms of just uh doing exactly what it wants to and having success.
0: Yeah, so after K State gets on the board 7 0, uh, both teams exchange uh, punts. And then K State gets their second touchdown of the day on a 59 yard uh, run by Deuce Vaughn, who, you know, on third and 13, you you probably don't expect uh, Deuce Vaughn getting the ball on a little bit of a draw there. And he takes it, you know, 59 yards for a touchdown. Uh, K State ends up taking a, a 14 0 lead into the half after Stanford throws the interception as they are driving uh, inside K-State territory. You know, after that first half, you had to feel pretty comfortable, but you also had to feel like, you know, only ahead 14 nothing that, that K-State could be ahead by three or four scores in this game. And, and it ultimately, it did, you know, get out to that three-score uh, lead here, you know, shortly into the third quarter. But, you know, at, at really at the same time, K State only had two scores, but seemingly very much in control in this game.
1: Exactly right, and that's that's partly because I mean we felt like we left some points and some drives out there in the first yeah. half. I mean, take the first drive we already mentioned the interception after yeah. after moving the ball seventy yards. Uh, that punt uh, in the first half came with the uh, pass to Imre Debebe over the middle. That was, that really could have been a touchdown if it was thrown on the nose. The one that was a little Mm -hmm. bit underthrown and he would have had to make a pretty tough catch to get it. And then, so you feel like K State left some points out there in the first half, but, you know, I don't know whether I'm so conditioned to watching the Will Howard offense so much last year that you just felt like. Every first down was a gift. I mean, mm-hmm. every, yeah. every yard case that gained last year felt a little uh, like we're playing with, you know, fool's gold a little bit here because it's just by the grace of God we ever found the end zone uh, last year with that. But on in the first half on Saturday, it looked like the offense was running pretty sharp um, in that the only times we weren't seeing a lot of success were with, you know, particular individual plays where somebody screwed up, whether yeah. it's the interception or the pass over the middle to, to Bebe. Uh But it induces long run yeah, on that 3rd and 13. I mean, what a call.
0: Yeah, no, it was a great... You know, it kind of reminded me in some ways almost of um, the a throwback to a TCU game where we, we get that quarterback draw that uh, hits big on, on a 3rd and long yeah, maybe when they're not quite expecting it, uh, this one was probably, you know, a little bit unexpected in terms of you know down and distance, of course, but you know also to it was kind of a point in the half where you know K State, they're they're probably trying to play a little bit of field position, about six minutes left in the, in, in the half, want to you know get the ball, punt it down to them after, you know, I figured they'd take a shot, you know, either with Knowles or Matabebe down the middle, trying to uh, get some of that yardage back. Because at this point, K-State has the ball at the 41-yard line. If you can get on the other side of the 50, you can kind of maybe think about going for it if you get fourth and two, fourth and three, somewhere around there. But uh, they just take all 59 of them. Yeah. Marching in there for a touchdown. Um, and and we're going to kind of break down this you know some of the nuances in the game. I just kind of want to roll it through sure. here. You know, both teams uh, exchange punts. You know, two straight punts, so four punts in a row to start the third or, or to start the third quarter. Here's an important thing to note, Mister uh, Taton Winkle, forty-yard field goal uh, to make it a three-score game uh you know early part of the fourth quarter where at this point K-States really has this thing well in hand in in cruise control Stanford doesn't look like they're doing anything offensively to be able to score three times uh and you know they haven't really necessarily shut down K-State's offense from being able to put together some drives uh but i wanted to touch on the kicking game i know we had talked about that in some previous episodes I was a little nervous after seeing the the two first two extra points though, go through the uprights, nice high up on the net too. I may add. I said this guy looks like he can he can be okay. Yeah. And, and then the, and then a 40 yarder from the right hash, a little bit tougher for a, a right footed kicker to kick from typically, knocks it right through right down the shoot. Love yeah, to see that. Had plenty of distance there,
1: yeah. and uh, that w- that effectively effectively ended the game. Yeah. And that really pretty much. I, I do it. want to talk about. Uh, David Shaw's decision. Oh yeah,
0: we'll we'll get into all that stuff. because whoo,
1: that I yeah. remember at the time thinking except that penalty, brother. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is yeah. the game right here.
0: Yeah. So after that uh, play, or after that drive, rather, where Case State gets uh, that field goal to push it to seventeen nothing. Really, the 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 backbreaker at this point. Uh, TJ Smith interception looked nice on that return too. Uh, sets up a, a short Wildcat touchdown, moving to twenty four. To seven, Stanford adds a, a late garbage-time touchdown to to get on the scoreboard. But, man, I was really hoping for the shutout, too. I was, too. You I know, was, too. But, 24
1: uh, to nothing would be a pretty sweet score. Yeah. Uh, and 24 to seven, still a, still a blowout yeah. in my mind. But yeah. not quite as sweet as uh, blanking them. It well, uh, would have been the first time um, Stanford was shut out in a game since 2006. Wow. But that has probably one of the
0: nation's longer streaks, probably, if I was to guess. I mean, I, not maybe the longest, but one of the top, you know, 10, 15, I would think. Well, but. it's
1: a offense that's built on matriculating it down the field in the last, you know, 15 years. And yeah. so you think uh, they're going to get some points. But uh, they were able to get on the scoreboard on Saturday and prevent the shutout. Although on that touchdown drive, it sure didn't look like they were... Uh,
0: oh, they were in no hurry. <laughs> no. They were in no hurry and... You know they were baking the play clock right down to single digits, running the ball on like third and three, fourth and one. I mean, which is fine. You have to pick up the first down. I get that, but well, they're running the ball on first down. You need also uh, three scores here, and to to kick the extra point after you know getting it down to you scoring your first touchdown, being down twenty four to six, still a three possession game, three touchdowns, three two point conversions. But they just have to kick the extra point.
1: Yeah,
0: but you know what? Might as well kick onside kick. Yeah, get the onside kick, see, see what can happen. <laughs> but don't worry about
1: maintaining a three-score game. Yeah,
0: some questionable stuff there, uh, to say the least. So, K-State, they rolled to this one pretty comfortably 24-7. Now, let's kind of get into to some of the more of the nuance of the game here and kind of you know break down some things. I, I wrote down a couple of things that, that really stuck out to me. Uh, I'm going to start with Deuce Vaughn, right? Okay, sure. So... This is a guy here, his line on the day, 124 yards rushing on 13 carries. His long of 59, um, you know, really stands out there. When I look at what he did, even into the fourth quarter, as K-State was kind of just really run the ball, run out the clock, looked as good as ever. I mean, this is a guy that, uh, you know, you, you see that shiftiness. And for being a small guy, you, sometimes you wonder about his durability. But one thing you you, you notice when you're watching him is he does such a great job of kind of minimizing that contact. And with being a smaller person, shorter person, not necessarily a smaller person, but he kind of eliminates the angles you have to really lay a big hit on him, you know, just by by being a little bit closer to the ground. And he just knows how to handle things really well in there. And he had a great game. I was a little bit surprised. I thought he would have a lot of success through the air. Uh, and getting him into some advantageous one-on-one matchups with some Stanford linebackers didn't really do much in the passing game but uh, you know, in terms of what he did on the ground, no doubt the player of the game for me on offense.
1: Oh absolutely and you just watching the game and I don't know if this was uh, uh, can be fully appreciated from watching the broadcast but the attention that he gets on every play for the defense is unreal I mean some of the the receivers that became open on Saturday are because they're devoting two or sometimes three guys to just marking where Deuce Vaughn is in the backfield, and keeping an eye on him and making sure that Deuce doesn't get you know free, and even at the expense of missing an assignment elsewhere, whether it's on a crossing tight end or or a slot coming over the middle, uh, but. Yeah, a pedestrian day through the air for Deuce Vaughn, but I suspect that as we oh, yeah. get deeper into the season, we're going to see some more creative things happening with Deuce Vaughn, especially when he's lined up out in the slot. Yeah. Which no, he did quite a bit on Saturday.
0: Yeah, no question. I, I, I'm i not worried about that aspect of the game k case they will find ways to get him involved. I know Kleiman, I believe, was saying, you know, we want him to be touching the ball 20, 25, 30 times a game. And this game wasn't really needed, uh, but in, in games against. Conference opponents, especially the early part of the conference slate, which will be a will be a bear for K State. Uh, he'll be getting plenty of work. I can I can assure you on that.
1: Yeah, and and you know he did have he did break off the what was it a fifty nine yard yeah. run, uh, which certainly helps the stat line. But even without that, a uh, pretty good day for, oh, yeah. for Deuce Vaughn. I mean, even without the fifty nine yard run, he's still looking at twelve rushes for over sixty yards, which pretty darn good clip. And then you add in the uh, Game breaker in there, too, and, and a very nice, very efficient day for the uh, young running back.
0: Let's talk quarterback. Um, Let's do it. This, this I feel like... This, can, what... be a, this can go a little bit of both ways. Yeah. I know that there's been some K-State fans that have, have been a little bit critical of Skylar Thompson's performance. There have been some that said he played great. I think it's somewhere maybe in the middle. Um, we'll talk about that interception first. Don't mind the throw. I don't really like the personnel. Uh, necessarily in terms of with Philip Brooks being a guy that you're throwing kind of a one-on-one jump ball to, um, just kind of what essentially what the play was, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, it was a pretty snack. much a, a slot fade route yeah. where he's um, singled up on a safety and um, just doesn't make. It's not really probably the guy you want to have in a jump ball situation. I, I've seen things where Philip Brooks says he kind of lost the ball in the lights, why he wasn't able to make a little bit better of a play on it. Uh, you
1: know, I was right there. That was right in Oh, right. was it? Okay. Because yeah. uh, I was right in that corner, and I, and I saw it from start to finish. You know, like I said, it was a smash route where the outside receiver runs a shorter curl uh, to try to draw the attention shallow, and then you have the slot running to the flag. and. When Brooks made his break, the ball was already in the air, and he was just, and may as well have been on Pluto. He 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 never found yep. the ball. The defender played it to his credit very well, and probably had a foot and a half in height on Philip yeah. Brooks. Yeah, I mean he he looked like a giant, and uh, the the so the guy in the secondary was just in a far better position to see the ball, yeah. whereas Brooks is looking almost vertically over his head trying to. To, you, know. you know locate this ball and it was he never had a chance and so you're exactly right it, that's not a pass you want to be throwing to philip brooks unless he's got the a guy on his on back yeah. hip yeah. uh and so really i would chalk it up to um either i, I think the easiest place to place the blame is, is thompson making the throw i think it was a a fine throw in terms of accuracy, uh, but it was just a bad decision mm-hmm. to, to throw it in that situation where you have a defender playing fairly good coverage, um, and you're throwing it to a guy who's far outmatched in terms of size.
0: Yeah, no no complaints, no complaints with that analysis at all. I think that pretty much pretty much nails it in my opinion as well. Speaking of Philip Brooks, one of the nice plays that that Thompson had early, and, and this is something that. When Skylar Thompson looks good back there, this is the kind of play he hits Brooks on and out early on in that game. Right in stride, Brooks is able to get that ball and turn up field for a nice game. That's Skylar Thompson at his best. When he's able to, one, pre-snap, pretty much know where the ball's going. Yep. Crisp route, ball's delivered in stride. Not, only, not behind him, not high, just right where it needs to be. So Brooks can catch the ball and get upfield and make a nice gain, yards after catch. That's when Schuyler Thompson's at his best. I thought Scholar Thompson did a little bit better of a job in terms of handling the pressure at times. What I'll say about that, he, he does hold on to the ball a long time. Now, granted, on the big pass to Phillip Brooks for, you know, 50, whatever yards it was to set up K-State's first touchdown, if Scholar Thompson two years ago or even maybe I, I'll say in his last year in 2019 of really a full-time starting that's maybe a play he doesn't quite see because he pulls the ball down and either one gets a sack or just takes it and runs and gets five ten yards yeah but he's able to keep his eyes open offensive line too giving him plenty of time to be able to sur- survey the defense and find Phillip brooks uh, in a busted coverage
1: yeah, I mean, I think uh, particularly in that play, the deep pass to Brooks off the snap, he had three or four options downfield that yeah. were there. That had to have just been a busted coverage for yeah. Stanford because they weren't bringing much heat, and there were he had a host of options downfield, mm-hmm. and so the whole you know, I'm two seconds after the snap, I'm thinking, throw it, throw it It's <laughs> <to> anyone, <laughs> yeah, yeah, take your pick, yeah. Uh, and, but, you know, his clock starts ticking a little bit and he starts trying to find some more space and he eventually found it and, and found Phillip Brooks downfield for a relatively easy pitch and catch um, that Brooks was to be able to just post up 30 yards downfield. Um, but no credit to Thompson for uh, not making the knee-jerk decision to uh, just tuck it and run for a, what would have been a fine, probably 10-yard, 10, 10 yard, yeah. yeah, but... But taking what the defense is giving them, um, especially when they're giving them a pass uh, that's going to be 50-plus yards and set up a relatively easy score.
0: Yeah, so K-State caps off that uh, that possession with the Skyler Thompson 7-8 uh, yard rushing touchdown. On that play where they ran the read option with Deuce, I think either one of them would have ran in for a touchdown. It would, Stanford did not do a good job diagnosing that. I will say this. Yeah, Deuce would would have run untouched, too. Yeah, it, 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 either one would have ran in for a touchdown. One thing I will say, K-State's red zone offense at times has been frustrating, to say the least. Settling for too many field goals, not punching in for touchdowns. I know we want to keep Skylar Thompson healthy. And I know with all... Um, I guess with all documents here in terms of you know reports that Will Howard is able to be kind of that bruising goal line runner, I think the read option is K-State's best offense by far in the red zone. And I think it, the further you get along in this season, that's going to be K-State's bread and butter, the option game down the red zone. And whether if it's Skylar Thompson or whether if it's, you know, maybe getting Will Howard in there to, to break it up a little bit so Scholar doesn't maybe get subjected to so many hits, I think that's going to be K-State's brother and brother in the, uh, in the red zone all season long.
1: I agree. I mean, I think that especially especially with the attention Deuce gets, yeah. that there are so many opportunities to punish uh, defenses over pursuing and, and paying too much attention to Deuce. And if they don't, then you give to Deuce. I mean, and so it's, it's truly a pick-your-poison. And... In an area of the field where there's just not as much room to spread defenses out, uh, which K-State will like to do between the between the 20s, uh, yeah, that, that read option is just so deadly. And, and it's going to be really hard for, for Messingham and Kleiman to try to overprotect Thompson um, when that is so available. And so, you know, they talked about a little bit in the offseason. Well, we'd like to get Howard in there in the red yeah. zone. Does that make K-State too one-dimensional? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Does it bust up the the pattern and, and get Skyler out of a rhythm or, or make it hard for Howard to get into a rhythm? Maybe so. But do whatever you can to keep the playbook as open as you can, especially inside the 20 when that read option becomes so deadly for K-State.
0: Yeah, and quite frankly, I don't really like bringing a quarterback in just for the red zone. Uh, or down inside the five, down inside the ten, because I think you've seen some kind of. It, it's a tough position for, let's say, in this case, Will Howard to get put into, uh, coming off the bench, cold, you know, mishandling the snap, uh, all we've seen all those things happen before, but uh, that's for that's something to keep an eye on. I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how if that does, if that Will Howard package does come to uh, fruition or not, but. With the way things are going uh, for K-State, hopefully that isn't necessarily needed. Hopefully Skylar Thompson's able to, to carry the load.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and just getting back to Skylar's uh, general performance,
0: you know, I've, I've seen people
1: be critical of him. Um, and I got to say, it's a little surprising. Only because, and this is... a For a first game of the year, it's, it's about what I expected to see out of Skylar Thompson. I mean, he didn't make every throw. He missed... A couple throws. Yeah. But that's going to happen. He's he's not going to be perfect. And you're not going to find very many quarterbacks in the conference who are going to make every single throw. Yeah. Um, And so, in in terms of how he played on Saturday, uh, I think he played fine. I think if he plays to
0: that level, K-State's going to win plenty of games this year. Well, and, you know, 9 of 14, 144 yards, it's not going to jump out at anybody. But, you know, had a couple drops in there. Could have easily been... 11 to 14 for near 200 yards, and your your stat line looks a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, also, if you don't throw an interception, that makes it a look a little bit cleaner. However, the other thing, too, I, I'd like to mention with Scholar Thompson is, in terms of what he adds in the running game, Like as I mentioned, th- that's a little bit harder to quantify in terms of, well, you see, oh gosh, 10 carries for 33 yards. That's not exactly scaring anyone, but when you get inside the red zone, That makes a huge difference. Thought he did really well. Um, Probably not the game he's going to be most uh, excited for or or is going to be in his uh, best games of his career. But the other thing, too, I want to mention, K-State, I believe, only ran 40 plays of offense. And also, how many of those 40 plays? I mean, this game was over at the start of the fourth quarter, essentially. Yeah. I mean, you're running maybe 30 plays, give or take, of really, you know, call high-to-medium leverage football, so to speak. Uh, And in this situation, you know, you're not going to—K-State's not going to throw the ball 60% of the time, uh, really, ever. So, I mean, you're not—if you were going to be looking for a big day from Skylar Thompson through the air— it certainly wasn't gonna be in a game where K State only ran the ball or only ran forty plays.
1: You don't really find yourself in a position in too many football games in the fourth quarter, uh, where you're in a position where you've scored fourteen points and you can say, Okay, well, a field goal basically. the I goal mean, at this point yeah. is a field goal and we win the game. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately what the position K State would. Well, was at.
0: and you know, it, it feels odd uh, it feels almost dismissive of Stanford to say that, but I mean really that was Reality. I mean, they weren't going to move the ball on K-State Scored three times at that point. Well, they only got two possessions after yeah, the field goal. Yeah, exactly. The, the time was running out, and Stanford was in no hurry. Uh, so that that also kind of digs their grave a little bit quicker as well. But uh, all, all things considered on Skyler, I'd say a B game from him. Uh, I'm not going to say, you know, he played his best game, but plenty of room for improvement, but but a, a certainly a passable game.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't think he... I don't think he played particularly great. I don't. I can't really be too critical of him outside of just a couple decisions and a couple missed throws. That you know, it's asking a lot for him to make every single throw. And, and when you only throw the ball what he what thirteen, fourteen times, uh, no, I, I think he played a, a fine game.
0: Let's switch subjects here to defense. Defense. I thought I want to stay on offense
1: oh, for one more. Okay. Point. Sure. Um, Skylar Thompson was sacked three times on Saturday. K-State had some uh, negative plays in the run game. I got to say, I was a little disappointed out of uh, some of the offensive line play on Saturday, particularly that right side of the offensive line, and particularly Christian Duffy. Because Duffy is a guy, last year, I felt he was just about our strongest offensive line. Yeah,
0: about ready to take that next big step.
1: Yeah, and so to see him really break down... um, you know, multiple times in the both the run game and the pass game, uh, was a little disappointing. I mean, we had multiple drives just killed by sacks. Yeah, and you know, Casey did have some chunk plays, but is the great Stan Weber says, sacks are drive
0: killers. Yeah, and you know, that's the other thing too is Stanford they had opportunities in this game, you know, to to really make this a little bit more competitive, and it was either by self inflicted. Penalties or case they getting a sack uh, that really kept them off the board until late into this game. So no, that's absolutely right. Sacks are the sacks may as well be a ten yard penalty. I mean because it, because it's actually worse than a penalty because you don't you lose the down too. So oh yeah, um, and so
1: it's sacks are brutal. Yeah, and so uh, that said, I have total confidence in Duffy. I, I you know I think that 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 was just the most honestly that was the most surprising thing out of our offense on Saturday. Um, the thing I expected to see the least—I mean, good or bad—was that the uh, that right side of the offensive line just really uh, struggled, and particularly Christian Duffy. But well, I I'm not too worried about that yet. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, he gets back on the right side of things this week.
0: And let's keep it on an offense here, just for one more moment here. Malik Knowles thought, even though his, his stat line's not going to blow you away, two rushes for 35. And two receptions for 13. Thought he looked okay, though. I mean, one thing I really liked on one of that his uh, on one of his receptions, little just a standard eight yard curl, comes back and then he drags guys for five yards to get a first down. You didn't see necessarily as much of that last year. Him running the ball uh, had a nice you know 30 yard run. Casey wants to find ways to get their playmakers the ball, whether it be Deuce Vaughn, Phillip Brooks, Malik Knowles. You, you saw some, something from Malik Knowles, albeit in pretty limited opportunities, but I thought uh, with, with those limited opportunities, he did okay with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, K-State doesn't have too many mouths to feed uh, in terms of weapons on offense this year. But, uh, you know, for only 40 plays, I thought Messingham spread the ball out pretty good. Um, and the gives to Knowles either on the—I believe he had one on a straight jet sweep— Mm -hmm. and one where he actually motioned into the backfield to be in the running back spot, which I thought was a pretty interesting look and something I hadn't seen too much out of Messingham's offenses in the past, where he actually motioned a wide receiver and becomes set in the backfield. Um, But I thought, no, I thought Knowles uh, had an encouraging game for him. Um, It remains to be seen whether it's a return to form in terms of getting back to the high points of 2019. Um, but certainly a more active day for him than we saw most of last year.
0: One other guy I want to mention, Daniel Uh had a couple nice catches. Also had a drop. You know, it is what it is. Uh, the drop. Did he now remind me, Dell? Did he have two drops or just the one? It
1: depends how you want to characterize the one downfield. Um, the they, one on that seam route. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm not gonna. Get, I'm not gonna hold this. Otherwise,
1: the only bad drop he had was that crossing yeah. uh, route that was a little more shallow that just bounced off his hands.
0: Yeah, drop that one. I am not. I wasn't going to give him the the one that Skyler underthrew a bit down the seam. Overall, I think he does have some serious, you know, upside as a threat more so than what I thought in terms of an upside from what Riley Moore provided last year. Just a little bit more of explosive of an athlete. But, you know, there was that one, um, you know, play action rollout that Thompson hits him kind of on that uh, – Kind of just filling in back behind the the safeties there, he he's able to catch one of those passes and he ran out of room on that one in terms of just not having much field to work with uh, as the sideline was serving as an as an extra defender. But that's a guy that he can get rid of a guy that's that's tracking him behind whether if it's with a stiff arm or just outrunning him, and uh, he can he can go for a little bit. So I'm excited to see how uh, Messenham continues to use him. Absolutely, don't forget about Trebasson Taylor who's
1: who's supposedly um, going to play a lot of football this year for K-State. Apparently practicing at full speed. The coaches are just uh, keeping him a bit on a leash. But he will certainly add another element to K-State's offense. And And how about Keenan Garber getting in on some action? Didn't, yep. didn't record any stats on Saturday, but he uh, K-State did use him in one spot to really stretch the field. Drew a pass interference on that play. Yep. A pass interference yep. call that eh, could have gone either way, I thought. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting to see K-State... Use him, uh, particularly as a a deep threat—a guy to stretch the field and keep defenses honest. And I think using him in that role is smart because K-State needs somebody who can take the top off the defense and prevent them from uh, just focusing too much attention on Deuce.
0: Well, let's um, let's turn our attention to the defense. I think they were really outside of Deuce Vaughn. I think you could say the defense was the story of the game. Um, Gosh. You could point to a couple of different guys. The two guys I want to point to right now are, are Daniel Green and Cody Fletcher. Absolutely. two linebackers. Yeah. Let's start there.
1: Yeah, how about it? Those are the guys that you and I have uh, been the most critical of in the offseason and, and certainly the most worried about. Uh, I, I'm not quite ready to abandon those, uh, sure. those concerns quite yet. But I'm on notice that I might owe... Cody Fletcher, a big fat apology here before too long if he keeps playing like he did on uh, Saturday. Eight tackles, a sack, one and a half tackles for a loss. I thought uh, he looked pretty good in space, um, but uh, I have zero complaints with our linebackers and how they played on Saturday.
0: More than anything, too, and this is a comment for the whole defense, I thought they did a great job of tackling. Now, Stanford's not going to get you in as many situations to where you have to make a one-on-one tackle. But I thought K-State's defense did a great job of making those tackles when presented the opportunity. I was kind of going through and counting throughout the game. I don't think they had more than just 10 missed tackles, which you might say, well, that's not very good, 10 missed tackles. That seems like a lot. Well, when you look at some other teams, I mean, that's that's a very good rate. If you, if you can get people on the ground, you know, with less than 15 missed tackles in a game, that's good. Yes, um, and K-State did a good job of that. I would also have to say too, um, in, in also in regards to just the tackling, I thought the secondary played well in terms of coming up in, in support on whether if it was bubble screens or just kind of those quick hitters. Yeah, T. Jensen had a had one great yeah. one where he Ka- stopped him. Reading, reading, kind of what's in front of you. And making a break on the ball and making a break on the play there before you can get blocked by the wide receiver. Thought the defense played great. Thought they swarmed the ball and really, uh, you know, gang tackled and, and did a great job there as well. You know, if one guy was going to miss that tackle, there were two or three more right behind him.
1: Yeah, I was impressed how K State's defense floated to the ball, and, and like you mentioned, Stanford's not a team that's not the most electric in terms of, of playmakers, uh, but. Hey, it's always important to contain and make sure that uh, you have multiple guys uh, ensuring that the tackle is is made. And, and so, credit to K State for doing a lot of gang tackling on Saturday and really keeping the top on the defense and not letting any uh, any Stanford defenders get away from them downfield.
0: Rush East with an interception uh, in his first game as as a Wildcats. Uh, the transfer from Louisville is going to be counted on to be a really important part of this defense, especially as one of the more experienced members uh, not, maybe not at K-State in terms of his experience, but in terms of just having came from Louisville where he started the better part of two or three seasons uh, is a guy that K-State is, is going to count on in the secondary as that last line of defense. Thought he played well in his wildcat debut. And then TJ Smith mentioned his interception uh, looked pretty good on that run back too. Thought yeah. there might be a chance that he might take it all the way, but uh he looked good as well, flying around out there as well. You know, looking, he didn't have any of those signature hits that he had uh, against Texas Tech. Maybe he's thinking, God, I don't want to overdo it here in week one. I got, I got a whole season to make it through.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he. I thought uh, TJ played a great game, and although we didn't see the uh, Mario Smith esque. Uh, yeah, head Mar- Mario
0: Smith. That's another good comparison. I can. I had Jared Cooper, but I think that might be a better
1: one. Well, he wasn't quite head hunting as much on Saturday, but getting the big turnover and the nice run back and setting up K State's final touchdown uh, was certainly a credit to him.
0: Let's talk defensive line here. I think the defensive line, with what K State fans may not have seen before from this Wildcat defense, really instituting more of a three-three-five look. Three defensive linemen, three uh, linebackers, and then five secondary uh, members there. With that, K-State's going to have to be able to get pressure with three guys up front quite a bit. I don't know how often that's going to be a common theme necessarily throughout the season. I think K-State has the ability with maybe these multiple schemes to be able to mix and match towards the opponent. But a couple of guys that I thought showed out really well. Uh, Timmy Horn making his presence uh, felt really pretty early on. What a plug. Yeah. I mean, what
1: an absolute plug in the middle. I thought Timmy Horn played a great game. uh, And he was able to just fight through and and get some penetration, especially uh, in the run game where K-State is playing a little with fewer bodies up front. But Timmy Horn did a great job of making things hard for Stanford trying to run between the tackles.
0: And, you know, his stat line is not ever going to jump out of you. And, and not nor, his n- job. Nor does a defensive um, a defensive tackle typically do that, unless they're and Sue or right. you know, one right. of those transcendent talents. But Timmy Horn, what he's going to provide at this K-State defense is going to be very valuable. Absolutely. I mean, he's eating up blockers and letting
1: Daniel Green and Cody Fletcher and even Ryan Hennington on Saturday move around with some freedom in that second layer of the defense uh, without having, you know, a guard up in their face because they're occupied with the big man from uh, Charlotte, and so yeah. uh, I thought I thought Timmy Horn played a great game on Saturday. Did get dinged for an offsides at one yeah. point where <laughs> he just bowled over the center. Yeah, he did. At first, I was a little disappointed that they called that offsides because it was really bang bang. And how often do you see a nose tackle jump offsides? Um, but we, uh, but he just bowled him over, and I thought. Timmy did a, did a great job on Saturday and really let Daniel Green and Cody Fletcher shine.
0: You know, uh, another guy I wanted to highlight was Jalen Pickle. Thought he played well. You know, I thought the defensive line as a whole played really well. Khalid Duke getting into the action with a sack. You know, this is a defensive line that had some question marks uh, coming in the season, of course, with you know Wyatt Hubert, K-State's best defensive player, uh, going to the NFL. You wondered what that production might—how does K-State replace that production— and you know when we talked about this, we said if K State's going to be able to replace this production, it's not going to be from one player. It's going to be from everyone kind of chipping in and doing their part. And you saw a little bit of that, I think, on Saturday. And I think that's that provides good, uh, kind of a good roadmap for the rest of the season.
1: Absolutely, great cohesion from all three layers of K State's secondary. Um, you know, or K State's defense rather. You, you talked a little bit about K State trying to get pressure with three men. Uh, with a three-man front. And that's not always going to be the case um, when you run that 3-3-5. It presents a lot of opportunities for a fourth guy to come in, which makes it hard for the offensive line to figure out, okay, which one of these other guys is going to come. But on Saturday, K-State got to the quarterback uh, three different times with the defensive line, one by Pickle, one by Huggins, and one by Duke. And at least two of those in... I I believe also Spencer Trussell
0: got a sack, too, in there.
1: Well, you may be right. You are right. You're absolutely right. Maybe,
0: uh, did, yeah, so uh, who isn't getting credit for this? I, I think Pickle didn't get credit for a sack. I it, see. It might have been just maybe like a, a no-yard gain by the quarterback, but it was essentially a sack. Fair enough. But at
1: least twice, and and I want to say three times, K-State got really good pressure and, and got to the quarterback at least twice with a three-man rush. Um, You know, and I, I don't know whether that says... K-State's three-man line is, is amazing. I think that's probably a testament to Stanford's offensive line just screwing up because there's no reason that should happen twice in a game. Uh, yeah, because it's five, it's five or six against three there. Right. And so, uh, but in any event, credit to K-State's three-man front for getting home twice and letting the secondary, uh, you know, do its job and, and prevent plays down the field. And... Uh, still keep the quarterback on a timer.
0: Well, anything else you want to add on the defense?
1: Yeah, I I was surprised to see Ross Elder um, get so much time in there relative to Jerron McPherson. I I know you had the snap counts up there. Yeah, I did. I did. I believe it said that uh, McPherson only got 20 plays while uh, Elder got 37 on the field. And I was really surprised to see that kind of a disparity between those two guys. Um, And maybe it's something to do with that three three five look. Maybe it's something to I, I don't know. Maybe McPherson a little dinged. You know,
0: from from yeah, that's kind of what I'm gathering from from what I'm hearing and reading is that McPherson's not quite there yet in terms of just being fully healthy. But I mean, obviously, you know, being a team captain, being one of K State's more experienced players, he'll be out there. Right. Um in plenty. And you'd expect to see those snap counts Flipped, and you'd also see probably a little bit diminished uh, in terms of Elder and then uh, more in terms of uh, McPherson as well. But, you know, all, all things considered, I have to be honest with you, I think this is K-State's – we talked about this going into the game. This season opener was huge for K-State. Coming in on a five-game losing streak, needing to kind of get on the right side of things here and have it really not only a win – we, we'd take one any way we could get it. But having a convincing win where the defense played really well, offense had some moments, I don't think you could have asked for a whole lot better of an opener if you're a K-State fan. No, I mean,
1: anybody who's saying, oh, K-State should have hung 40 on these guys, you're getting greedy. I yeah, mean, it
0: it, it would have been almost impossible to, to score 40 points with just the, how limited of opportunities we were. Right, at. and so that's why, uh, you know...
1: Take the blowout win over a Power 5 opponent in the first game and run. Yeah. Because the, how many times have we seen K-State come out and lay an egg that in terrible. that first game yeah. and left be left wondering Part where the long season long. was going? Yeah. I mean, whether it's Vanderbilt, whether it's South Dakota, whether it's Arkansas State. I mean, that's in the last five or six years. Yeah. You can set your watch to it almost. K-State's going to come out with a lackluster performance in the first game. And so to get a big win against a power five opponent away from home, uh, huge credit to K-State, huge credit to Kleiman for uh, coming out and starting off the season on a very positive note.
0: Yeah. Big time win for the cats. Um, d let's go ahead and close the book on that one. K-State wins 24 seven. And let's go ahead and look forward to K-State's next matchup. Southern Illinois Salukis come to town. Uh, this is a team that, you know, you think about the FCS ranks, you think, oh, this should be a pretty easy win for K-State, but this Southern Illinois team is no slouch necessarily. I mean, this is the eighth-ranked team in the FCS. This is a team that made the FCS playoffs last year, beat North Dakota State before, uh, in the regular season, and this isn't a game that they just, you know, won, you know, by a, by a point or two. They, they beat this North, last year's North Dakota State team um by two couple scores. So you know that this is a solid program. They ended up losing in the playoffs of the FCS to the eventual championship uh South Dakota State. If you're sleeping on the Southern Illinois team by just saying they're Southern Illinois, K State will win by 30 points plus. Roll your helmet out. I think that you might be a little misguided here. This game I fully expect K-State to win, but uh K-State fans should know a little bit about the Salukis team.
1: Absolutely. I mean, like you said, uh, Southern Illinois uh, had a fairly good uh, regular season last year. Ended up getting into the playoffs. Won a shocker against Weber State in the first round.
0: Yeah, I was floored when they won that game.
1: (laughs) We all were. Uh, They advanced to the quarterfinals and lost to South Dakota State, the eventual champions. Close game, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, And this 2021 fall edition of Southern Illinois returns 10 starters on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball that uh, made it a fairly good run into the playoffs. And so there's some experience coming back. Yeah, a lot of experience. A lot of experience. A number of uh, all-NVC, all-conference players on both sides of the ball. And so, you know, don't get us wrong. K-State's the far better team. K-State should definitely win this game. But uh, Southern Illinois... Is nothing to shake a stick at. They're uh, they're not one of these uh, FCS teams that actually like really sucks. They're like an FCS team that's actually pretty good.
0: <laughs> yeah, they are pretty good. They're
1: not a they're not a powerhouse juggernaut North Dakota State team, but they got some good pieces and they return a lot on both sides.
0: Well, the and there's been some FCS teams. I mean, K State fans know about uh, you know what would that have been eight years ago? Now North Dakota State comes in and beats us. Now we're not saying that this is a You know, FCS dynasty necessarily, of course, like those North Dakota State teams were. But, heck, K-State saw it a few years back with South Dakota uh, coming in here and making that thing way too close. Uh, Even in college football around around the nation last week, Montana going into Seattle and upsetting a top 20 Washington team. I think maybe with those results, and obviously with Kleiman's experience at the FCS level, This is a game that K State uh, will be geared up for, and and they'll know uh, they they won't overlook their competition. I'd be I'd be shocked if they did. Yeah, and people can say, well, look at Arkansas State last year. Yeah, that's true, but no
1: spring football, (coughs) a little bit bridged fall. I mean, a a little bit of a different circumstance there. So I think uh, Southern Illinois should have the full attention of Kleiman in the uh, in the actual players.
0: Well, let's go ahead and take a look here a little bit in terms of what Southern Illinois likes to do. With Stanford, you're going to get, you know what you were kind of getting with them. Physical, they want to run the ball. K-State really did a great job against that running game. I mean, when I look here at the stats in that game, Stanford ran the ball, if my computer cooperates with me, I believe it was under three yards of carry. Yeah, pretty darn good. It it, it It's not cooperating with me, but... I know Case they did well against that running game. Uh, for the Cardinal, Southern Illinois, on the other hand, they want to throw the ball. Yeah. They want to throw the ball, and then they want to throw the ball a little bit more after that. <laughs> Nick Baker, their starting quarterback, last week uh, against uh, Southeast Missouri, 25 of 34 for 460 yards, four touchdowns and one interception on the first play of uh, the Southern Illinois offense. In that game against of the season, of the season, yeah, first game, first play of the season for uh, the su- Southern Illinois offense, ninety-nine yard touchdown pass to Avante Cox. So
1: I wonder how many times in Division One football history the first play of the season has been a ninety-nine yard score. Well,
0: much less is the first play touchdown. Yeah, <laughs> much less a ninety-nine yard yeah. touchdown. I
1: bet I bet that has happened fewer. You can probably count it on one hand. I bet you could that. too.
0: Maybe even one finger. But uh, that's that'd be a great stat to actually know what the answer is to. That'd be that'd be tremendous. But you know, let's let's talk a little bit about this. You mentioned that they had three all-conference uh, returners. Nick Baker, one of them. Quarterback. Quarterback was they they return an all-conference quarterback too. Yeah.
1: Problem is, it ain't Nick Baker. It's Stone Labanowitz, who. Uh, did not uh, did not see any time on Saturday. A different guy. Maybe this is the same guy. I don't have this in my notes. But they had another guy play quarterback on Saturday named Stone Norton. Hmm. So uh, I don't know whether this is a problem with the uh, the preview or a problem with ESPN stats from Saturday. But uh, Stone Lobonowitz did not play. Stone Norton did. Hard to tell.
0: Yeah, I, I'm thinking Nick Baker's the guy.
1: Nick though. Baker's the guy, but yeah. he was not the all conference quarterback for him last year. And then uh the other guy, the other all conference guy on their uh, offense, wide receiver Avante Cox, who was the on the receiving end of that ninety nine yard yeah. touchdown on set on what was it, last Friday? Thursday? Um, I
0: believe it was a Thursday night game, if I'm looking at this correctly. Yeah. Against SEMO. So. Um
1: But Avante Cox, even outside that 99-yard catch, had four other receptions going for 88 yards. So he is uh, the big play guy for Southern Illinois. He is a 5'10", 170-pound junior from Rochester, Illinois. He will be a a popular target for whoever the quarterbacks are uh, on Saturday for Southern.
0: Well, with Nick Baker, uh, it's... It's interesting. This is a guy last year that his first career start was against number one, North Dakota State. He suffered a, a season-ending injury last year, about midway through the season. But, I mean, this is a guy that's going to be your quarterback. Also a, um, a product of Rochester, Illinois. A little bit, sh- a little bit of a uh, kind of a playmaker back there. Not real tall. five nine, So, when you think about what, what some of the challenges that K State might be able to prevent, with a guy that you know maybe doesn't see the field as well, just being a little bit shorter, can maybe get a little bit exotic with some blitzes, bring some pressure off of some different areas uh, to kind of hamper some of that vision. But I look for K State to to really you know one place we talked about that we thought performed well was the defensive backs against Stanford. This will be a little bit better of a test for him. One guy that I, I wanted to highlight too was uh Julius Prince. You know, he gave up one completion down the sideline. On that uh, back shoulder. A, on the on the back shoulder for, for a nice game for Stanford. Really a and, nice
1: pitch and catch by yeah, Stanford. And then the state. and
0: then the touchdown that Stanford scored, not bad coverage. I mean he's no. right there with them. I don't I don't really necessarily you know give him a negative grade on his performance but be interested to see what the secondary uh does because i think k-state is going to be pushed in to maybe you know having a couple more cornerbacks on the field whether if it's you know uh t denson of course got some some uh run last week echo Boydo as well i, I expect to see you know the cornerbacks getting a little bit more work this week
1: absolutely they're uh, southern's gonna spread the ball out a lot more than stanford did um and yeah, I mean, you look at their guys from last week. They had, uh, well, they had six receivers uh, go for more than 20 yards on Saturday against, or on Thursday against Simo. So it's an offense that, you know, likes to spread it out a little bit more, really likes to use the receivers a little bit more. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about Avante Cox, but also Landon Lenore, a uh, 6'1", 192-pound wide receiver, a senior for the Salukis who went for 79 yards on four receptions on Saturday. So despite the quarterback's uh, diminutive stature, uh, he's a guy who can see the field good enough to spread the ball around and and deliver it where it needs to be and should, I think, actually be probably a better test for K-State's secondary than Stanford presented.
0: I agree completely. I agree completely. You know, looking at the stats here, uh, Southeast Missouri ran... 35 times for 142 yards net. Lost 20 yards via sack throughout the game. Comes out to a little over four yards of carry. I think K-State will have some success running the ball. And, you know, as you mentioned, the offensive line had some moments, but also had some moments that kind of left your head, or left you scratching your head a little bit about like, hey, what's going on here? I think this is an opportunity for this offensive line to kind of get back at get back feeling good about themselves and and really turn in a nice performance
1: yeah I, I think that k-state's offense should uh should do a pretty good job and especially in the running game uh you know i think it's a little bit of a departure from what stanford's reputation is in terms of kind of a, a defense is that's going to be very physical and press stonewall you and take away what k-state wants to do on the ground i think that uh Southern Illinois will have a much harder time with that. And and if there was a game where K-State's offensive line uh, can really get back on track to the extent they weren't on track in the first game, I think this Southern Illinois defense is just what the doctor ordered.
0: You know, credit to Southern Illinois. They scored 47 points in this game, uh, a 47-21 win over Southeast, Southeast Missouri. But... You know how you don't often score forty-seven points and go three of eleven on third down conversions. Yeah, you know, so that that's a testament that this that this uh, this Southern Illinois team they prefer not to get into third downs. They'll just try to you know rack it up on you. Now, I think obviously a huge step up in, in terms of competition for the Salukis, but this is uh, Southern Illinois is really kind of their their big chance here uh, this season. At least um, in the regular season uh, portion of their schedule, they don't play any other uh, Power Five teams this year uh, in their in their schedule. So this will be their chance to play in front of a big crowd and what should be a great crowd at Bell Snyder Family Stadium.
1: Yeah, this is the only FBS game uh, that Southern Illinois plays all year. Uh, you know their their defense, like I said, not much to write home about in terms of comparing to a, what I think is. Pretty darn good Power 5 offense in K-State. Uh, they do have a couple guys. Uh, Jordan Burner, a good DN. Safety, Qua Brown. And cornerback James Caesar were all first-team Missouri Valley last year. And before we uh, get away too far away from this uh, Southern offense, I do want to mention their running backs. Because these are two big old dogs that they have uh, carrying the football for them. Uh, Javon Williams Jr., the third... Uh, Missouri Valley first team all-conference guy last year 6'2", 245 so he's a load that's a load (laughs) and if if you watch the uh, Southern SEMO highlights uh, from last Thursday and I'm sure you will
0: I'm sure everyone has
1: I'm sure they've been pouring over Uh, you look at this guy carrying the ball and he looks like a freight train I mean this guy makes Daniel Thomas look uh, a a little um, you know a little hungry in terms,
0: of, yeah, so well, 245. I mean, you throw his pads on there, he's weighing about 260 <laughs> he, yearly, you know. Yeah. After all that stuff, all had that. a
1: had a pretty crummy day rushing the football against Semo, though. Uh, 11 carries for 29 yards. Uh, the other guy that they have is no uh, no slouch himself himself in the size department. Uh, he's Justin Strong, who had a little better day carrying the football against Semo. 11 carries for 61 yards, but I'm sure we'll see. Both of those guys get some carries, but Justin Strong, six foot, two hundred and fifteen pounds, and so the uh, the discrepancy between uh, the running backs for Southern and the guys like Joe Urban and Deuce Vaughn for K State, who who typically get most of the carries yeah. out of the backfield at least against Stanford, uh, two very different shapes in terms of running backs.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see how K State, um, what K State does against this passing offense of Southern Illinois. It does make you. A little bit um, eager to see what K-State's able to do. What we think is really probably the strength of this defense is that secondary. This should be a good test for them. Much better than they probably faced against Stanford, as we mentioned. So, Well, and don't forget, though,
1: Stanford had opportunities downfield. They did. They did.
0: You know, as bad as their quarterbacks played, I think they were like something like... 15 for like 19 throwing the ball which isn't really i mean the ball's not hitting the ground all that often Now a couple of those went to the wrong team but uh you know at at the same point
1: well that's but that's a testament to the k-state doing a good job tackling and yeah and minimizing i mean it didn't really feel like k-state was playing a bend but don't break on saturday but ultimately that's what it turned out to be yeah well let's go ahead anything else you want to add on southern no no i think uh i think i have an idea Let's go ahead,
0: give our prediction. d I'll let you get first crack at it.
1: Yeah, I think K-State uh, is going to have a lot of success doing really what it wants to on offense. Um, and I think that uh, Southern will provide a little bit better of a test uh, for K-State defensively in terms of really putting it to the secondary and making them work a little harder than Stanford made them work uh, on Saturday in Dallas. And so I that said, I think K-State's, a far better team. I think K-State, uh, I'm not worried about this game in terms of winning or losing. I think K-State can, uh, so long as they stay focused and, and don't have any monumental screw-ups, uh, I think K-State wins this game comfortably. I think uh, a final score to me looks something in the range of 38-13, to 13 Kansas State on top. Okay.
0: You, you and me see this one pretty similarly. Um, I'm going to go K-State 41 Southern Illinois, 17. I see K-State being able to really do what they want offensively in this game. Uh, Southern Illinois is going to have some opportunities to, to throw the ball around here for a couple of reasons. One, that's what they like to do. And also, two, I, I expect K-State to be in firm control in this game where Southern Illinois is going to have some playing catch-up. So uh, they're going to be airing the ball out quite a bit. Um, with that being said, I think this is a game K-State really gets – Whatever they want on the ground, uh, I expect a big game from Deuce Vaughn. I expect a big game from uh, the other running backs, whether if it's um, whether if it's Deuce or well, not only if it's Deuce Vaughn, but Joe Irvin, uh, Jacardia Wright getting in the mix. Both of them got some playing time uh, last week with uh, Joe Irvin and uh, Jakardia spelling Duke or er, uh, spelling Deuce at times. At the at the end of the day, K State too good, too physical. I think they have no problem here, and they, they rolled a 41-17 win.
1: Yeah, I, I I would expect K-State to have at least 250 yards on the ground on Saturday, and I think uh, that Jakardia and Irvin will combine for, I would guess, 125.
0: You know, in the two games that K-State's played in, in 2019 that were kind of against poor competition, we'll call it, Nickel State and Bowling Green, K-State Wasted no time. I mean, they, they put that cow out to pasture pretty quick. Yeah. And I expect kind of the same uh, MO from K-State on, on Saturday, which is the way it should be. You don't want to have to be, be playing this game until midway through the third quarter, and it's it's a one-score game, which certainly a possibility, but we see K-State having having little to no problem in this one.
1: Yeah, the, the thing I'm most interested to watch on Saturday is, again, to see whether k Cody Fletcher, and Daniel Green, whether what we saw yeah, on well, Saturday was the real deal, whether they could continue that uh, that impressive level of play they had against Stanford. And especially where I want to see them, and I think they'll have the opportunity, is to get out in space and cover uh, passes in the middle of the field.
0: Yeah, in Southern Illinois will we'll get their running backs involved a little bit in the passing game, so that will provide us a test. But I'm glad you brought up Daniel Green. He's going to be suspended for the first half. Uh, due to the targeting uh, late in that game. So, someone to keep an eye on for, for K-State fans when, you know, you might be scratching your head saying, hey, why isn't Daniel Green out there? He played really well last week, in the, you know, coming in the first half. Uh, but due to uh, the targeting uh, that he uh, was ejected for in the second half of that game, he will not be able to play in the first half against Southern Illinois. So He will miss missed. He will be missed, but he will return with the vengeance in the second half. I, that's uh, right. He'll be ready to pop around and and mm. and, uh, and uh, get some heads knocking. So that uh, that wraps it up here for the Stanford review and Southern Illinois preview. After a quick break, we'll come back where Dilu will highlight another in the long list of Wildcat legends, and we'll answer listener questions in our Ask the Icon segment. Stay with us. Welcome back to this week's edition
1: of the Short Side Option Podcast. You're listening to D. Lou and the Icon as we get into a segment that we like to call This Week's Wildcat Legend. An Icon This Week's Wildcat Legend hails from Edwardsville, Illinois. He was a towering mammoth offensive lineman who played for both the legend and KC's current head coach, Chris Kleiman. He attended Western Illinois initially out of high school. Do you know who it is? Probably gives it away at this point.
0: It, I, I'd i like to get, have you continue giving me some hints if I could.
1: He's the son of David and Pamela Coltmeyer. How about now? <laughs>
0: it's got to be Nick Coltmeyer.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Got to be. Majored in electrical engineering. That gave it away. That, yeah. was,
0: that was a little too revealing. I thought the, the
1: Western Illinois transfer probably helped out too. Yes, of course it's Nick Kaltmeyer, the big time offensive lineman who played mostly reserved during his first two years in Manhattan, become before becoming a starter as a senior in 2019. Although in 2017, he played in every game. He started in the Cactus Bowl against UCLA, where of course he helped block for a K-State bowl record 344 yards of rushing, led mostly by Alex Delton and
0: Yeah, that was like kind of a fun game, huh?
1: It was uh, certainly an interesting it was, one.
0: It, it was a... That 2017 season, you, you kind of leave scratching your head about uh, some games that K-State let fall away and or games that they we feel like they definitely should have won. But uh, that was at least a nice cap to that season.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and uh, Nick Kaltmeyer... Like, like I said, just a huge guy. He used to just ragdoll uh, some opponents. But uh, really a, a really nice ad. I thought. I, I was really excited about him going into 2019, and I thought he did a pretty good job. Earned first-team—I'm sorry. Honorable mention All-Big 12, according to the coaches, in 2019. First-team academic All-Big 12 players, I mentioned. Uh, majored in electrical engineering, which is no— uh, no easy task. He was on the 2017 All-Bowl team per ESPN for his uh, job pushing around the Bruins' defensive front, leading to K-State's historic rushing output in the bowl game in 2017. But overall, just a really solid offensive lineman, a guy who, who saw a lot of time in the program before coming into his own as a senior, and uh, a guy that I know will be watching closely uh, is the wildcats take on southern
0: yeah you know I'm I'm glad you brought up Nick Kaltmeyer because this is a guy that uh, you know transferred up you know you, you didn't see that as often uh, you know just a short four years ago uh, with him getting into the mix there but a guy that really you know grew within the program as you said and, and really became a big piece of that eight win uh, 2019 team uh, that that 2019 team in terms of the offensive line just had a ton of experience up and down. Now, granted, that was a big concern going into last year uh, even before COVID was how are we going to be able to replace uh, an offensive line that had such great experience. And then when you cut out the spring ball uh, and abbreviated fall uh, before the season started, K-State really struggled to run the ball in 2020. Uh, But 2019, really good uh, offensive line and Nick Coltmeyer big big part of that
1: that's right and so the big man hailing from Edwardsville, Illinois, not too far from Southern Illinois.
0: You know you're pretty well versed with the geography of Illinois, aren't you? I,
1: I study it all the time. So yeah I, I know <laughs> I know Illinois
0: very well. You know it like the back of your hand. Now, where is Edwardsville exactly as it relates, you know, to Illinois? It's just because outside
1: St. Louis. So,
0: okay, so St. Louis Suburb. So, it's only, you
1: know, across the state, really, from a southern Illinois. Well, I guess it's not too but far Just, from just right down south. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not across the state, but not quite next door, but a little farther down the Mississippi River. Gotcha. Yeah, but it's for that reason, for the close-to-home game that... Uh, that uh, Nick Kaltmeyer will watch on Saturday. It's for that reason that we all love him. It's for that reason that he is this week's Wildcat legend. Now, listeners, we're going to get into our final segment on this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. This is a segment we like to call Ask the Icon, where listeners of the Short Side Option Podcast can, of course, submit their questions to the Short Side Options very own Chris the Icon Sorg of via Twitter. You can do that by tweeting them at us at T-S-S-O underscore podcast. Or by uh, shoot, yeah. hop in a hop in a choo-choo train. Yeah, head right on down to Union Station, not too far from here.
0: Oh, I have office hours there from two to four Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah,
1: catch catch the icon at his office hours, and you'll be able to just ask him in person.
0: Yeah, like, icon, here I am. Here I am. Just got off the uh, just, just got off the Amtrak uh, from uh, from uh, over in St. Louis. Coming through. Just thought I'd come and ask you a question real quick, if I could.
1: What do you got for me? And Icon uh, will of course say,
0: "Okay, you can present
1: your question. We'll read it on the podcast next week, and uh, get y'all get y'all settled there." Um, or if you have a phone number, you can text it to us, like uh, our first listener did. Listener Boston. He has. He says, "Mr. Icon, KSU's first ten plays of the season went for a combined one hundred and thirty-four yards on two drives, including the interception by Thompson." Do you believe this success can be attributed to good scripting by the KSU coaching staff or a combination of other factors?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it really what it is is that scripting. I think K-State, you know, knew what they wanted to do. I mean, and also, too, when you have the whole off season to kind of prepare for this game, and I think it wasn't just lost on fans. Obviously, the, the fans knew the importance of this game. Getting off to a great start uh, here to... Uh, kind of avenge what leaves a sour taste in a lot of K-State fans' mouths uh, from the 2020 season. But to get right back on on a good track here in 2021, wanting to come out strong offensively, you know, sometimes this K-State offense just kind of putters around a little bit through the first uh, couple drives of the game. Not the case on Saturday. K-State got, uh, got right after it. Uh, big credit to Courtney Messenham and staff uh, getting a good game plan together and I think they saw some things that they wanted to attack uh, right off the right off the bat, and I think that's a big part to why uh, K-State experienced so much success on those first two drives. You kind of said that like Stan Weber there. That's what I was going for. You like that? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to try to kind of work some, some stan yeah into uh, into uh, the podcast from here on out. What do you think of that? Man, I
1: like it. On those first two
0: drives. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely Stan. That, I'm, I'm glad you picked up on it because I was, I was kind of doing that with uh, – with a little bit of a smile on my face as I was doing it. But that's that is that's a quintessential Stan right Yeah, we, gotta, we love Stan.
1: We, we love him. I'm going to start doing that in, off off the air and just <laughs> trying to work that into some of my regular conversations or arguments. I, I like it. I like it. Uh, our second question comes from Twitter. It's uh, from Tyler. Now,
0: now did, did Boston have anything else? I thought you said he had two questions there. Or did I mishear you?
1: I think he just said one. Okay. Well, and if, he, hey, if he had two, uh, maybe, we'll get, maybe we'll get to it here in a little bit. Uh, next question comes from listener Tyler Eight, Tyler H., excuse me, at TH8 underscore on Twitter. Tyler says, the NFL season starts tomorrow. You know that, Nikon? I did. I did. My, my beloved Dallas Cowboys kick it off. He asks, who are the most likely draftees out of Kansas State in the 2022 draft? And cool. our, uh, he has two questions. So why don't, okay. we, why don't we start with
0: that one first? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Timmy Horn, I think, could be a, a potential option at the defensive tackle position. You know, Julius Brince has that prototypical um, NFL boundary corner size that you like, coming in at 6'3", long arms. I think that's a guy. Offensively, you think uh, Brince as early as 2022? You know, there, the reason why I say that is there have been some been some uh, folks who either are on the message board or just folks that are around the program that are very high on his talent that he might only be here for one year. That's a little bit of more of a projection in terms of if he plays well enough this year, then maybe he is able to test the waters and go to the next level. But you know, really, Timmy Horn, I think is is a guy that you, you'd look at. Uh, I think you'd also look like uh, at a guy like Brents in terms of on the offensive side of the ball. You know, nothing really jumps out to me. I don't know if Skylar Thompson's really an NFL draft uh, target. I don't know if Malik Knowles would do enough to be able to be uh, on the uh, on the scouts' big boards to, to be able to be drafted. I think that those two guys on the defensive side of the ball, uh, if you put a gun in my head, that's where I'd be looking at.
1: Maybe a guy like Josh Revis. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean Reeves played really well.
1: He had a great game. We, yeah. we we didn't really talk about him, but uh, he played really well. Yeah, did a great job. I
0: sat next to him and his family at Old Chicago after a uh, football game a few seasons back. I mean,
1: he was just house and
0: pizza. He, he's a big dog. And <laughs> he's a big old dog. I uh, he uh, you know he was more of a deep dish fan as you may imagine with, with Old Chicago. Chicago yeah. But you can also get it a little uh, crispier there, a little bit more of a thin-style pizza. They're very versatile there at Old Chicago. They do a great job. They do. Yeah, I love Old Chicago, man. I do, too. Hey, I'm a huge fan. That's Parmesan. Parmesan.
1: <laughs> <coughs> uh, the second question from <coughs> Tyler, excuse me. The second question from Tyler asks, your favorite active KSU NFL player from the non-Lockett division?
0: From the non lockett division. Well, that makes it a little bit tough. That I makes mean, it a little trickier. Because with um, with um, with K State, obviously Tyler Lockett's probably the most um, most recognizable K State player. I think I saw him uh, somewhere on the NFL top 100 players list, voted on by his peers. Uh, obviously, well deserved. I think Lockett uh, has has made a name for himself. Obviously, well outside of just K State. Uh, fans' knowledge uh, as one of the better wide receivers in the NFL. But to answer his question, a guy that also I feel like is one of those top players that maybe goes a little bit under the radar, mainly due to his position. Uh, it's Cody Whitehair, a guy yeah. that has really uh, been a, a mainstay on the offensive line for the Chicago Bears. Uh, he's a guy who I always really admired at K State. They moved him around from. Uh, inside to, to play in either of the tackle positions throughout his career. This is a guy that, uh, you know, really was a big part of K-State's conference uh, championship winning team in 2012 and uh, really did a great job for K-State. So Cody White, here's one guy, another guy that I'm always, I get to see a little bit more of is Byron Pringle. Yeah, so um, I was thinking. You know, a guy that uh, has been around with the Chiefs here for a little bit now. Typically, had kind of found himself in the role of really just a, a kick returner and special teams guy, but seems to be kind of moving up his, his way through the depth chart uh, to be somebody that gets in uh, a little bit more involved in the offense this year as well for the Chiefs. So someone to keep an eye on for him as well. But, uh, you know, there's a little bit. And then K-State's also got a couple of guys. Uh, DJ Reed in the secondary. Um, also, um, gosh, who's the other guy that they have in the secondary too? That, uh, Duke Shelley. Um, as well, D.J. Reed, Duke Shelley, who were both great uh, at K-State here on that 2017 uh, defense. They're both making names for themselves in the NFL, too. So a couple different options uh, on both sides of the ball there for you.
1: Yeah, I uh, I like chips, chips, baby. I like Pringle.
0: Hey, he's—I uh, know. You, I mean, you're a Chiefs fan. You're a Chiefs diehard. You're yep. expecting big things out of him this year, aren't they,
1: you? They think Pringle's uh, the next Tyree kill, some people are saying.
0: Many people are actually saying this, huh?
1: Yep. And <clears throat> you now, Mr. Icon— we're going to take a trip back to a place we haven't been in quite some time. We're going to take a trip back to Philosopher's Corner with Cat Kid.
0: Cat Kid says... Now, I'm looking here at this text. Don't. Do I have time to go to the bathroom? Or do you I maybe read, have time to go read a book? You just stay you mean, right. You just sit back okay. and relax. Okay. And really think. I, need, I need some this relaxation. This is going to be a pretty smart question. So just oh, he always and... asks the smartest, doesn't he?
1: <clears throat> he says, Oracle, as I slip further into middle age, my mind weakens and my body tires. My midsection grows and my hopes fade. I no longer so easily summon the energy and enthusiasm of my younger years, and my optimism for life and the cats darkens into a flickering candle. In this time of crisis, I turn to the words of St. Augustine of Hippo, quote, miracles are not contrary to nature, but only contrary to what we know about nature." As this season's mysteries slowly unfold before the eyes of us mere mortals, might we read the leaves of tea before us? Might we search in the innards of our slaughtered beasts offered to our gods to discover some notion of what is to come? After considering the truths that lay bare before us all, seeking the unknown from beyond using the ancient methods from surely others more modern, from the depths of the oracle's cave. Oracle, I call to you. Will there be another miracle in Manhattan? Or will the drudgery of the world of men once again let us down?
0: Very good question. That's a smart very question. Good, very smart question.
1: Yeah, well, great, another great trip to Philosopher's Corner.
0: It always is. It always is. It always leaves me feeling kind fulfilled. filled. Enlightened a little and bit. Enlightened. Yeah. yeah. So to answer... Uh, Mr. Cathead's question. I look at that, and I have to first define what a miracle is. Is a miracle winning another conference championship? Is a miracle perhaps exceeding that? That's really the million dollar question. Yeah. And you know what? Does K State make it, make it to the Big Twelve championship game this year? Yeah, maybe certainly within
1: the realm of possibility
0: certainly in the realm of possibility but i wouldn't call that a miracle necessarily i would feel a miracle would be something further something a little bit more than just an appearance in a conference title game so to answer cat kid's question i say the i say that the future is cloudy however optimism is abound. wow
1: Yeah, you're kind of a philosopher's corner now. Doing what I can, my man. Uh, Well, thank you for that really enlightening question, cat kid. Uh, We'll move on uh, to listener Easy Steve Z on Twitter, at slkeck. Steve Z also has two questions. He says, hey, Icon. If you were a well-known student athlete in your time at K-State, what sponsorship would you have gotten under the new NIL rules?
0: Well... What sponsorship would I have gotten? What 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 would be a business
1: you would have tried to maybe get some swag from?
0: I'll tell you, I'd be going to Briggs. I'd be looking for a new set of wheels if I could. I mean, yeah. who, wouldn't, who wouldn't want that? Other otherwise, you know, maybe AMC. I like movies a lot. Yeah, I love going to movies. Yeah, give me like lifetime lifetime movies and popcorn. I'd be happy with that.
1: You, yeah,
0: you. I know you I, love popcorn. Well, I'm also just a huge fan of the cinema. You love films. I do love. I do love watching pictures. So that would be one. Um, but I, I think bricks. I'm gonna go for, a, you know, maybe like a new, I you know, like in college, I'd be going for something, you know, like a muscle car, Yeah. Dodge
1: Charger, maybe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, get something that I can really, you know, get out and let hear hear it run. Well.
1: <laughs> What about that pizza shuttle commercial from way back when?
0: Yeah, pizza shuttle. Hey. Is that
1: who were those guys again? Well, I
0: believe, if memory serves me correctly, it was Frank Delarue yeah. and uh Colba Champ. Yeah. How did that work? Did those guys get paid for that? They I'm sure they're getting their money in arrears <laughs> uh, here. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they're they are just now cashing in on that windfall. For me? Hey, give me so long saloon, man. Yeah. Tough to beat that. Pass the
1: black bean. Oh that's
0: that, that sounds real good right now, Dilo.
1: Uh Steve's he asked a follow up question. Who's your favorite guest on comedy Bang Bang? That's another That's a, our sister podcast. I don't know if you listen to Comedy Bang Bang. No. You're gonna have to help you're, me out. Yeah, I I'll feel this one. I I would say probably Neil Campbell is the, the best guest on comedy bang bang. He's got a whole bunch of great characters, of course the timekeeper, of course Larry the loner, um his newest one, the Answer Seeker, troubled teen Rick Ferber, Rick Faber, excuse me, all classics out of Mr. Campbell in the comedy Bang Bang universe. Uh, and then our final question this week comes from listener KSU underscore Funny Thirty Three. He asks, out of the likely four new additions, I assume to the conference, which one excites you the most? Which one are you the most meh on? Okay, so the so let's 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 yeah, listen look, them down. Let's you got you got Brigham Young, you have Central Florida, you have Houston, and you have Cincinnati. Which one really gets you fired up? Which one are you a little lukewarm on?
0: You know, I I wouldn't say that there's anyone in particular that really just fires me up. I don't think like there's any of those four that that you've listed that are is a home run can't miss. Out of the park. I think they're all very solid, like doubles, like to, to steal baseball. I think all of those programs really bring a lot to, uh, to the Big 12. With Cincinnati, you get a program that has had a proven track record uh, here as of late in, in football, of course, being a preseason top 10 team, uh, but it also brings a strong basketball program as well. Uh, Houston, of course, a Final Four team last year uh, in college basketball, but has also been a a strong football program here uh, over the last several years. Your UCF Knights, former national champion, as you know. That's what my t-shirt says. And they also... That's what uh, the NCAA record book says. That's what the record book says. Not just the t-shirt, but the record book itself. I, I would say UCF has probably the highest upside. If I was going to say, if I was looking at these as a couple potential stocks to invest in, I would say UCF has the highest potential return. BYU is almost, I'm still another stock uh, kind of term here, a little bit more of a blue chipper in terms of, you know, uh, this is a program in a, a, and I hate, I'm not going to use the term that most people use, but this is a program that athletically has shown to be pretty darn respectable, football and basketball over, a wide variety or over a wide number of years here. You know, with their football success, they've won a national title back in the uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. This is a program that uh, I think has, a, I mean, obviously has a national following uh, due to their uh, religious ties. I think the, all of these programs bring something to the table. In terms of one that I would say, I, I guess I'm most looking forward to welcoming into the Big 12, um, it might be UCF, actually. I think they have a great, uh, you know, Ability to have, once you get in that extra money that you're going to be getting as a member of the Big 12. You know, I did some looking in what these, uh, the teams in the American are making uh, from a monetary standpoint with their television contracts, around $8 million a team. Projected in the Big 12, that's going to jump up nearly to $20, $25 million based upon estimates. Um, with K-State having played UCF too as well, you know, in my lifetime, it's a program that I, I've seen in person. They bring a, you know, they bring a different type of uh, geographic region to the conference with it. With you getting into Florida, so I'll be interested to see what kind of options that uh, that you know adds to the mix as well. But also, too, in, in terms of UCF, you also add a, a program that has uh, some track record, too, in basketball. Been a good, decent basketball program in the American as well. I know all of which uh, conference realignment is is gearing towards football, but I think in terms of when you look at what the Big 12 added, you're adding not only just good football programs, but strong athletic programs as well.
1: Yeah, I for me, it's UCF. Yeah. yeah. i I've, I really like their program. I think they've been really fun to well, watch grow over the last decade. And,
0: and, you know, you look at what they did, you know, just here recently. They lose Scott Frost, goes to Nebraska. They bring in Josh Heupel. He goes off to Tennessee. Now they bring in Gus on Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if <clears throat> you look at the last season's coaching carousel, in terms of the, the cachet that somebody might bring with a hire. I mean, Gus Malzahn is probably the biggest one out there on the board, nearly. And this is a guy that coached in a national championship game, has been the only really coach in the SEC that has beat Nick Saban over a, a number of years. I think that he'll do well at UCF, and I think he'll probably be back in the SEC here before too long, or at, at, a, at a little bit more higher-profile job. But you know what? UCF's looking at this saying, like, hey, now with this extra t- uh, revenue that we're going to be getting... Uh, from the Big 12 and, and from an expanded TV deal, this is going to allow us to pump more money into that football program. And you know what? Maybe we can keep Gus Malzahn and keep him happy here in uh, in Orlando. Or we're going to be very well positioned to go out and find the next head coach because they've had a great uh, track yeah. record of being able to go out and find those. For a
1: program that's only existed for a little over 40 years, it's uh, been very impressive to watch USC, or I'm sorry UCF uh, ascend to really the pinnacle of the g5 status and now becoming a member of a power five conference um along with cincinnati and uh houston who's who's had a lot of success over the last 20 years at, at various points and byu just a, an extremely storied uh tradition football wise uh in a program that k-state has a little bit of history with on yeah. the basketball court too, yeah uh and on the football field. yeah so absolutely uh no i, I i'm very excited for all four of these i think uh you know that fourth slot, whether it's Houston, whether it's Memphis, whether I've even seen some people looking for Boise State, even Colorado State. I, I think Houston is a is a fine pick for that fourth one. And
0: uh, yeah, you know those are the four teams that that I've seen with the most uh, that that seem to be the most sought after of the of the American uh, and other Group of Five teams. And I think Houston, from a standpoint of you know, with Houston being the third largest city in the United States, uh, that's a big deal in that city, I mean, too. So I think getting in into uh, the East Texas market a little bit and and into uh, Houston, I think, will we'll, we'll bode well for the Big 12.
1: Yeah, and also give a chance to elevate some of these programs into becoming, you know, really upper echelon um, power five teams, potentially. I mean, I, there's no reason I I don't think that Houston shouldn't be able to actually surpass a program like texas tech to the extent they haven't already but uh or, or ucf to become the next great uh football program in florida to the extent they aren't already a better program in florida state or miami or, or something like that and so i i think that uh giving them the opportunity to really have a new influx of cash into the program played more uh Opponents with cachet on a week in and week out basis. I think it gives them an opportunity too to really uh, ascend up the tiers of college football and you know help elevate uh, the Big Twelve uh, along with their programs.
0: Yeah, I and Cincinnati's uh, you know another program too. They they've been a tradi- over the last twenty years a very solid football program. Like I said, all of these programs I think are are great fits for the Big Twelve and. You know, quite frankly, you kind of step back and you look at, you know, why didn't we expand a little bit earlier? You know, these these options were available in the past. Now, granted, the reason why we didn't expand is because Texas and NOU were would would have put a uh, a stop to that. But at the same point, uh, better late than never, and uh, I I'm excited to see what what takes place in conference realignment. I'm glad the Big 12 is being more proactive now than in years past. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And that wraps up our questions this week for Ask the Icon. Icon, any final thoughts to share with our listeners?
0: You know, no real final th- thoughts, uh, really to share uh, from from uh, from a question perspective. But I did want to get your thoughts on some things. Ask Deelu. What's Ask Deelu? You know, we have podcast.
1: We've- the Icon can submit their question to Deelu right now. Yeah,
0: and I'm going to do so uh, just by talking to you, not no writing a note with a with a quill pen. Like I, I've done before. No
1: no writing it and putting it in a bottle and throwing it into the ocean?
0: Nope. Nope. Just going to tell it to you right here. We've had one week. Well, yeah, I'm not going to count week zero. We've had one full week of college football. Big 12 got through it pretty good. Nine and one. Um, only loss being West Virginia to Maryland. Anything stick out in your mind uh, throughout the Big Twelve, or even if you want to expand it out to the to the rest of the country, anything that uh, that caught your eye here in the first week of college football?
1: Well, my focus is almost exclusive to the Big Twelve. Beyond the disaster that the Pac-12 North saw on Saturday, um, I mean we can we can swing around there real quick. Oregon didn't look impressive. Washington actually lost. Uh, UCF, USC uh, struggling a little bit with. Uh, Rising San Jose State program. Um, Washington State, I don't remember exactly what they did, but I think it was uh, less than what you want to see out of the Cougars. Uh, so a lot, of, a lot of struggles in the Pac-12 North. Um, and it's anybody's guess what that's going to look like at the end of the year. But Oregon um, struggling with Fresno State, probably in the driver's seat unless Washington can get it figured out. Uh, in the Big 12, you take a swing around the conference you got to assume Oklahoma that was a blip on Oklahoma's radar um that they'll write to the ship and that that close call against Tulane i mean i want to preface this by saying everything looks weird in week 1 if you yeah. if you go back yeah. and look at week 1 last year mike leach was going to revolutionize the sec yeah. and uh and all these different things but um you know Oklahoma state i thought was one of the sneaky oddities of the Big 12 uh, so far. You know, Oklahoma and Texas uh, caught everyone's attention with their uh, performances. Texas, of course, getting a really solid win against Louisiana. But you look at Oklahoma State really kind of struggling with Missouri State. Of course, Spencer Sanders didn't play in that game. But based on Spencer Sanders' performance in the last, you know, the back half of last year and even against K-State, you wonder if what kind of a difference that he actually makes for that team? Um, maybe it's a Will Howard, Skyler Thompson situation where the backup was so bad uh, on Saturday that it that it was a competitive game with Missouri State. But that's the that Oklahoma State, Missouri State game was really the the biggest um, oddity I found in the conference on Saturday.
0: Yeah, and you know Iowa State being tested against Northern Iowa, which has has been a. Uh, has been something that they've had trouble with before. They've always seemingly played pretty close games with, with Northern right. Iowa. And, you know, of course, big game this week against Iowa that you could easily say uh, they were looking forward to that one. Uh, that'll be an interesting to watch this week here in the Big 12. Yeah, at,
1: at this point, I, I hate to say, if a Campbell gets the benefit of the doubt against, oh, sure. against um, Northern Iowa just because that feels like a, an annual tradition for the Cyclones and just coming out and looking really flat against... Uh, FCS opponents but no, that's a good point too. Well it'll be interesting to see what the Cyhawk game looks like this week to see whether Iowa States the real deal or whether it's just the same old story with the cyclones where they have optimistic hopes and then see them dashed uh, you know in their second game of the season against the Hawkeyes.
0: should be fun to watch. Uh, you know we look at this big 12 uh, you know there's a couple other big games kind of coming up. Not so much this week. This week in college football is a little bit uh, of a uh, of a step back in terms of what was a really exciting week one. Uh, but you know, Big Twelve still has some tests. Uh, of course, Oklahoma welcomes Nebraska next week, uh, as well as uh, I believe Oklahoma State going on the road to Boise. So some some other opportunities here uh, in the Big Twelve uh, to to kind of see what uh, teams. Have you know another one that I'm looking forward to, kind of just as a as a fun comparison, is that Cal uh, TCU game. Of course, Cal uh, came up short against Nevada. Who case it will be playing next week. Uh, they'll be going uh, on the road to Fort Worth to take on a TCU team that uh, had no problem with Duquesne. I, I expect TCU to win, but you know Cal's always been a uh, a pretty tough team. They don't usually. You know, get blown out too often. I expect them to, to keep it close in Fort Worth as well. So, should be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, and also credit to Texas Tech for getting it done against Houston Yeah, on
0: 31 unanswered for the uh, Red Raiders after trailing. And uh, really, having a nice, impressive win. Matt Wells needed one.
1: Yeah, that uh, I saw some people commenting after the game that that was the game to decide which coach was going to get fired. Because Holgerson, obviously, yeah. hasn't had a storybook time at, no. at Houston. And uh, Matt Wells, of course, struggling over... Uh, at Texas Tech in his first two years. So a, a much-needed win for Matt Will's Texas Tech Red Raider squad. Uh, and then finally, just looking at some of the lines this week, there's one in particular I wanted to talk to you about. Sure. And that's KU being a 25-and-a-half-point dog against Coastal. Um, talk about a team elevating itself over the course of a season uh, last year with Coastal Carolina. I forget exactly what the uh, line was last you year. You know,
0: I I can't remember. I want to say KU was a double digit favorite in that
1: game. Yeah, I do too. And of course, Coastal coming out, getting a feasting on KU's uh, just terrible offense in that game, getting some early turnovers and jumping out to a big lead before KU made it a little closer in the second half. But uh, boy, a twenty five and a half point opening line against Coastal Carolina that's a that's a steep one. That that just really caught me off guard.
0: Yeah, and that's a Friday night game uh, for folks that might be you know wanting to get a little bit of football in before the weekend starts. Should be an interesting one. That will be um, hard to see KU winning that game, but uh, we'll be interested to see what Coastal Carolina is no joke. I mean, this is a good football team. Uh, This will be a good test for KU uh, here early on in the season.
1: That's right. So the uh, the training wheels are off for Lance Leipold in Lawrence. Uh, A tougher test this week than last week.
0: Yep. Yep, well, I think that wraps it up for me. Do you, anything else you want to add? Nope, that, that covers it. Well, folks, that'll do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. We'll be back next week to review uh, K-State's game against Southern Illinois and preview an upcoming matchup against the Nevada Wolfpack. Should be an uh, interesting game with Nevada. As I mentioned, uh, they start off their season with a victory uh, against Cal on the road in Berkeley. Both teams, odds are we'll be undefeated going in that game. Uh, both teams should probably be playing for a chance to get into the top 25. So something to keep an eye on. But we'll be back next week to break it down. Until then, thanks for listening and go Cats!